Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We have a lot to talk about today on Let Me Be Frank. Bishop Caggiano is going to help us take a look at where we are right now in our Lenten journey. Uh, and then in the second segment, His Excellency will walk us through how we can dive into Scripture and break open the Word of God. And it's Lent. And if you're tired of listening to music or politics on the radio, now you have a place where you can just be fed. Keep your radio dialed into 1350 AM or download the Veritas Catholic Network app on your phone. Either way, you can listen to uplifting conversations, learn more about the faith, participate in spiritual devotions. On the app, you can also get podcasts of Let Me Be Frank and Restless. We are Catholic Radio for Connecticut and New York. Take us with you wherever you go. The app is available on the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or you can visit www.veritascatholic.com for more information. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's great to be with you. And you know, Lent is just flying by. It's amazing. Flying by. I can't... I can't believe it's already been two weeks since Ash Wednesday. That's what I mean. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we have to do a spot check how we're doing for Lent, no? Yes. Time for a conscience check. <laughs> let's, let's start there then, Excellency. Yeah. Can you mm-hmm. help us, you know, gauge where we're doing, you know, how we should be and right. how we should finish right. out strong? Okay. Oh, finish out strong. That's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You know, like everything else, you start Lent with great fervor. Yeah, I'm going to conquer the devil and all things evil. And then you kind of like slip back into, the, you're fighting the, the slipping back into the old, well, you know, Lent, it doesn't count on Sunday. Lent, you know, there's an exception. Lent is, you know how we are. It's human right. nature. Yes. Right. So, you know, the, uh, so how do you, how do you counter that? Well, I think... For me personally, Fridays are always the reset button for me. The Fridays of Lent. There is something beautiful about the the idea of abstaining from meat. Not necessarily because, right, there is um, in, uh, intrinsically something better because you eat fish or whatever else it may be, right? Because the truth is, uh, ground meat could be far less expensive than a lobster, hmm. right? It's the spirit, obviously. Yes. But what I like about, so, uh, so, so the first three, of course, is it's supposed to be penance. So the idea is not to substitute a hamburger for lobster, obviously. <laughs> That's a given. <laughs> but having said that, what I like about it is that there's, there is a reminder to me that it is different. This, this season is different. Remember in the old days, we abstained from meat all of Lent. All the days of Lent. Yeah. Right? So there was a daily reminder. And I, some of my friends do that. Actually, they give up meat for all of Lent. Right? For me, that's extremely hard to do because of my crazy schedule and how I travel around and stuff. Um, but so Fridays are the reset. And I wake up and... Um, 
I have to remind myself, okay, so obviously today's a day of abstinence. It's a day of penance. And yeah, this is the season that I should be attending to, in a very special way, um, the conversion of my life, right? The raw admission of my sins, asking for the grace to work on them, spending more time consciously in prayer. So my recommendation to everyone is if you find the slippage occurring, right? We're almost at the midway point. Yes. So use the Friday to intentionally do something to remind you of what every day is supposed to be in Lent. And for myself, I have a great affection for the Stations of the Cross, a great affection for the Stations of the Cross. Because as a little kid in school, we used to go every Friday in Lent. Yes. It was the last thing we did on Fridays. And then we were dismissed from church. And it was always, it was in a little after two o'clock we would arrive in church because we were dismissed at around three o'clock. And I remember in the new church versus the old church growing up, the old church was the wooden church that, you know, was quite shadowy and had that smell to it of who knows how many masses celebrated with incense. Yeah. And because it was wood, it actually kind of soaked into the walls of the place. Um, but that, it was just, it was a fire hazard at the end. I mean, it, it just, you could not, you couldn't keep it open. So the new church, much more modern, huge. St. Simon Church is huge. It's, it seats over a thousand people. Could be 12, 1300 people, easily. But also has beautiful stained glass. And I remember in the stations, of course, as I would, you know, follow along because we were not allowed to follow in person, but we would just kind of like move our bodies mm -hmm. to face the stations as you went around. Um, mirror, looking at the stained glass and depicting the temptation of the Lord Jesus in the desert, all right, or uh, the woman caught in adultery, or the birth of the Lord Jesus. It still sticks in my mind, the quiet, the peace, the beauty, the color, and of course the prayer. Yeah. So to this day, Fridays, no matter what time, I say I I offer the Stations of the Cross on Fridays because I I gather great encouragement and peace from it. So, so to answer your question, Fridays are the key for me yeah. to keep Lent on the right path. Can I ask you? So mm -hmm. last year you did the Stations of the Cross online. Mm -hmm. um, are, are you going to do that again this year? This year, we will more than likely live stream them, uh -huh. and I will do that, but there will be a congregation in church this year. Okay. See, Holy, Holy Week this year will be a bit more, I hesitate to use the word normal, but a bit more normal-esque than <laughs> last year, because, for example, for example, we are going to, we can, we have figured out a way for the distribution of palms that we believe are safe that can allow the blessing of palms on Palm Sunday. Since we are, we will be back in worship on Palm Sunday. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the memo that came out from the Office of Liturgy here in the diocese told the pastors that they can have the mandatum on Holy Thursday. We can have the washing of the feet. Because the risk is extraordinarily low if it's done properly with masks and people are socially distant. Mm-hmm. So that is a beautiful moment 
in the Holy Thursday liturgy yes. that we can preserve, which is tremendous. The same with Eucharistic adoration. This year we can. Altars of repose, we can have them. Oh, great. But again, people will have to be patient right? because the spaces are not usually large and they have to be socially distanced, which will then have the unintended, graceful consequence that people will have to stay in church longer, awaiting to get close to the Lord, but they can adore the Lord from wherever they are in church. So we will be, by circumstance, forced to spend more quiet time, which is grace. Yeah. That night. So I'm going to assume that um, visiting seven churches on Holy Thursday is still off the table. Well, theoretically, it's not, because theoretically, a person could do that. You could do it on your own. Because the churches, I presume, you have to do it on your own. But again, I would recommend that you not do that this year, simply because you will not be able to approach the Lord in any of them if you're hopping from church to church. Right, because you'd just be waiting online and then going to the next line. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. But so, so, it, so it, yeah. So now, mm-hmm. but there will be allowed a sort of procession from after Holy Thursday Mass to the altar of repose? Yes. Okay. But that would only be the priest and perhaps whoever is assisting him. Okay. Everyone else would remain in place. Okay. But but to be honest, growing up that's exactly how it was done. There was I have no recollection of all of the people following the priest in church. Everyone stayed in their places. And then everybody tried to go up to adore the Lord all at once. So that's when Bedlam started. But generally speaking, right? So we will go back to the same thing. Okay. And again, and again, an un- an unexpected grace because it's quieter and more reflective and more focused. You know, the right of election we had this year, and we had 175 people in church. It's the maximum St. Teresa's could hold. And in the right of election, there's the enrollment of names, and then there's the greeting with the bishop. And of all the ceremonies liturgical that I do, the right of election is beautiful in itself, but the greeting when people come to greet the bishop, in my mind, is there's too much activity, there's too much movement, there's too much opportunity for people to start whispering and chit-chattering and all the rest. So it, you, you break focus. So this year, obviously, we could not do that. So we asked people to stand in their places, and then they were acknowledged as catechumens. And you know, the universal response is that this was a far better way of doing it. Hmm. Precisely because it was more, it's more centered and quiet. Right. It's more reflective. Right. So the same thing with Good Friday. Good Friday, we will, there will be adoration of the cross. But the one thing we will not allow this year, for obvious reasons, is that a person venerate the cross by either touching or kissing it. That do not do not that. That would not be safe. Yes. Right. That would yep. not be safe. Yes. So we will ask people to do a profound bow or genuflection before the cross. Yeah. As a sign of reverence. But we will have it this year, which is tremendous. I think, you know, listening to you say all this, um, I, it's, it sounds so good, you know, coming out yeah. of last year's Holy Week 
and right. this whole last year of of mess it's just to have it even open this much is um just sounds just great fantastic and we can have the vigil with the lucerum and all of the ceremonies involved with the blessing of the fire the blessing of the candle yeah we can do that and we can do it safely so this holy week uh, you know i'm going to ask people to to come be patient if we run out of room because i think we will in a mm -hmm. lot of our churches mm -hmm. but if it's live streamed at least we have taken one huge step closer to please god next year's holy week we'll be back to a relative sense of normalcy yeah yeah mm -hmm. i pray all the churches are filled to the capacity that they're allowed to be filled to yes that would, oh what a great thing that would be right Right, and, and consider, if my math is correct, um, for the dedication of the diocese to St. Joseph, mm, uh, which is coming up. March 19th. If all, right, if all 79 parishes have mass at the same time, we could probably have about 8,000 people at mass. Wow. At one time. So it's like filling a stadium, even though we're not physically with each other it's same same thing yes so even in a pandemic you can have a large gathering that is in multiple places so there's hope yeah yeah there's hope mm -hmm. i uh you mentioned the stations of the cross and i wanted to just um something popped up as you were saying that uh because i keep going back i've never been to the holy land you have uh were you able to walk the Via Dolorosa? Yes, yes. What is that like in person? You know, it's interesting you say that. When I pray the Sorrowful Mysteries, the fourth Sorrowful Mysteries, Jesus takes up his cross. And the image that comes to mind is the experience I had walking the Via Dolorosa, the Via Crucis, in Jerusalem. And my hunch is that what's there now is not all that different from what Jesus would have experienced. For the city, that portion of the city is very ancient. And this is the insight. Jesus is carrying his cross. He would have been one of hundreds and hundreds of quote-unquote criminals who walked the streets of Jerusalem to Calvary, right? And the streets are extremely narrow, made of stone. And they are merchants who are basically um, trying to sell their wares, interacting with people. So you could imagine the Lord Jesus, his sacred blood dripping along the way. And these people are trying to sell him rugs or, or, or clothing or spices. The crowds, who's laughing, who's singing, who's joking, who's drinking, who's... Totally oblivious, totally oblivious to who was there in front of them. So then Isaiah says, right, in his prophecy, that he bore the sins of us all. Imagine, all right, the Lord walking through these streets saying, I'm dying for you, I'm dying for you, I'm dying for you, I'm dying for you. And you don't even see it. See, that was my experience in Jerusalem. Because we went, and we were one of 
gosh, thousands and thousands of pilgrimage groups that went through. So after a while, you don't notice. You don't see them. You don't notice them. Same thing. Yeah. So it was poignant. It wasn't beautiful. It was poignant for me. Yeah. Until you got to the, to, to the Basilica of the Holy Sepulchre, where Calvary and the tomb are basically in the same building. Mm-hmm. So even for someone like me who hasn't been there, there is a lesson there, right? Because Jesus is here too and suffering very much the same way because of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And do I mm-hmm. notice? Well, or what we allow to be done. So you walk the streets and there's a homeless person in the street. Um, who among us recalls the fact that that's the Lord's presence here and the world is totally oblivious? Yeah. There's the cross of Christ. Who sees it? And I could give you a thousand other examples. Yeah. So the things most important literally occur under our nose, and most of the time, we don't recognize it. Yeah. You know, and I think like even the um, the apostles when that was happening, and they had all fled except for John, and because they still didn't understand what was happening, and. Um, and this was even after... Oh, no, wait, wait, no, 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 no. They understood what was happening. They understood what was happening. Their leader was being put to death. They had a very good idea of what was happening. That's why they ran. Right. Okay, so they didn't run out of ignorance. Right. They ran for... It was an abject and complete failure of courage and fidelity to what the Lord asked. Sure. There's no other way to cut that cake. However... Okay, they came to repentance. And it's interesting. They scattered. Okay, so now let's just do this from a human point of view. They scattered. We don't know if they scattered as a group or scattered as individuals. And yet, when Mary Magdala saw the risen Lord, she knew where they were. Mm Mm-hmm. Peter was there. John was there. The other apostles, at least some were there. Yes. So there was something they intuited that even though they ran for the skin, for their own skin, there was was something planted deep within them by the Lord, which was the stirrings of their true faith. Okay. Not in the faith of what they thought the Lord was going to grant them. Okay but what the Lord actually came to give them. That's why faith is as much an intuition as it is a mental acknowledgement of anything. Right? You have an awareness, a sense of something greater. Mm. So they went through three stages. Their denial, their recognition, and then their courageous outreach. So they gathered together, they saw the Lord, but still did not have the courage to go out until the Holy Spirit came to give it to them. So they went through three stages of formation. That's what every Christian has to do. 
right? You go from non-engagement to engagement to mission, right? And the two essential ingredients are the Son and the Holy Spirit hmm. to do that. Yeah. So the failure was colossal on the part of the apostles. It was. It was colossal, especially Peter. My goodness. Yeah. I think... Uh... So, so tell us how the, how the transfiguration factors into this, because that's this Sunday's reading. Mm-hmm. And um, it was meant, my understanding is it was meant almost as, as a preparation because Jesus knew that they were going to see that. He wanted them to see this, or right. at least the right. three disciples to see this first. Okay, so the transfiguration, all right, um, let me tell you a story. When I went to the Holy Land, it was the third day in the Holy Land where we went to Mount Tabor, to Mount of the Transfiguration. And it was the only place we visited, it was 19 priests and myself, my first trip to the Holy Land, where the actual trip taught me the significance of the place I was visiting. Because you know, when we went with those air-conditioned coach buses that all the pilgrims go, you know how it is. With the bathroom, you don't want to use if you have to. <laughs> right. Air conditioned, kind of. All right. So anyway, we arrive at the mountain, and it was much bigger than I ever imagined. And we start kind of lumbering our way up, and then you stop. So interesting. Pull over, and we're told to get out. We didn't get to the top, and then these much smaller buses, open air, no air conditioning, right? You got to pile into those to keep going up because the road narrows. Then when you get to almost the top, you park. But you're not dropped off in front of the church. You have to walk. Una bella distanza. A decent amount to go. So the image in your mind is you're shedding. You're shedding. You're shedding. And then you walk into the, the basilica and it's like it's a blaze in, in uh, its brilliance, it's, it's, it's white, it's light, it's warm. There's this brilliant image of the Lord. It just like strikes you that having shed all of this, this is what you're left with. See? So to your point, the fathers speak of the transfiguration as the story of the two mountains. For you go up the transfiguration, which if you walked it, would itself have been a suffering, would have been a shedding, would have been an emptying, exhausted, tired, to do what? To recognize that the Lord was walking with you all the way through the suffering, which was essential to get to the glory. There is no empty tomb without the cross. That's the parable of Christian life. And from the top of that mountain, symbolically, you're prepared to go up the second mountain, which is Mount Calvary. Where in that moment of pure gift, you do not see the glory. You don't. Because it comes three days later. Hmm. And what you do between the moment of death and three days later is the challenge of Christian life for everybody to answer. Do you keep going? Or do you turn away? Right. That's the story of the transfiguration. It's encouragement in the 
inevitability of suffering for those who are going to go in mission and love, you inevitably will suffer. You got to shed it all. But then you also receive the Lord as the prize, as the pearl of great price, the risen, glorified, triumphant, ruling savior of all things, the glimpse of who he really is. That's you either take it or leave it. <laughs> Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, okay. One more thing before we go to break, Excellency. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been two weeks now since you issued mm -hmm. your exhortation, The Upper Room. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's not a lot of time as, that's passed since then, but you know, I just wanted to see if you had any follow-up, anything you wanted to add on or, or, or to say at this point. No, I would just, uh, uh, so far, there are a number of people who have enrolled in the Ambassador Ministry Formation Program, and I'm very happy about that. And as I imagined, I, in a few months, will start another class because it takes a while to get people to come forward and pastors also to think through who they want. So I'm encouraged and, and I'm very much at peace with surrendering this to the Lord. Where we go from here on end, he will tell us. But, but that I'm hopeful, I'm more hopeful now than I was when we met a few weeks ago to talk about it. Something Great. is stirring. Something is stirring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay, so let's take a break. And uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, we'll um, dive into scripture. All right. Okay. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Okay, welcome back everybody to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, last week you mentioned the idea of breaking open the Word of God. And mm -hmm. so, um, I thought I'd give you the opportunity today to kind of dive into what that idea is mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. a bit more. Um, but before we do that, maybe you can kind of set us up with how we should even approach the Word of God. Well, that's the diving into the Word of God. Okay. In a sense. <laughs> because you know what, Steve? In the end, um, when you enter into the presence of the Lord, it's no longer uh, your you're not calling the shots anymore. So when you enter into the presence of the Lord, whether it's through the word or through his sacred body and blood, uh, the key premise is, Lord, I am here, do with me what you will. But it's the accessing of the word of God. How with all of our filters and prejudices as contemporary people, modern people, um, with all those prejudices and presumptions and how do we allow the Word of God to unlock its power for us? Right? So you, you said something very interestingly uh, from the last time we met about the Bible being a library. That's a great image, right? Because as you said, there are 73 volumes in the library 
46 in the old and the rest in the new. And there are different genres of writing in, the, in, the, in this library, this sacred library of God's word. So God's word is spoken in the Pentateuch, which is the salvation history of God's chosen people, right? The Jewish people. Yes. The historic books of the history of Israel, which had some really dark moments of infidelity and sin. There are the wisdom books, as well as moments of great triumph, right? With the establishment of the kingdom and all the rest, David and Solomon. The wisdom books, which are basically just that. It's, it's the, the, it is the conveying, if I may, of the wisdom that God wishes to have, to give to us, so that we can live our life in union and communion with him. And then the prophetic books. And of all the books in the Bible, for me personally, in the, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, uh, this time of year, the Pentateuch, most especially Exodus and Leviticus, right? And the rest of the year, it's the prophets, because the prophets tell it like it is. My type of people. <laughs> Don't beat around the bush. If this is it, just say so, because then you can deal with reality rather than make-believe stuff that we oftentimes deal with. And they did not mince words, right? And of all the prophets, okay, my favorite, take a guess. Isaiah? Nope. Um, Got three chances. Elijah. Keep going. <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm on to my last chance. Um, John the Baptist. <laughs> well, you know, you know what, you're, that is a fair answer. You are right. See, uh, yes, you, you outdid me. <laughs> because John the Baptist is the last of the great Old Testament prophets, even though he's, he's the bridge. All right, so you, you caught me at my own game. <laughs> but Elijah, what a figure. Yeah. Too. You mentioned a lot. What a figure! Yeah, with the with the prophets of Baal. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh! Talk about zeal and fire and and passion and perseverance. Oh my God! Can yeah. you imagine if we were like that? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Anyway, and then of course in the New Testament, we're very familiar with the New Testament. I would think most of our readings are familiar with the New Testament, and the Gospels. You know, in many ways, in my own way of seeing things. The Gospels to me are almost like portraits or paintings of the Lord. Right? They all display an aspect of a truth that defies even the Gospel writers to fully explain or narrate. But they take it from different angles. So you need to put the Gospels together to get the fullest picture of who this Lord is. And each evangelist comes with his own premises, his own background, his own training, so that the Lord uses through inspiration human means to convey divine truth. Right. And the divine truth is what is infallible, okay? That there are errors in the Bible, both Old and New Testament is clear, but those errors are due to the human agency and inconsequential to the truth being conveyed. Right. Right? 
So they're not newspapers, as we talked about. Yes. They are conveying the most profound truths there are. Now, having said all that, the key here is this. There are four traditional senses to scripture. And I think everyone needs to take a step back and try to understand what that means so that the message God wishes to impart to you can be imparted in the most easy and facile way. So let us begin when you pick up a passage of scripture, the first of the senses is a literal sense. That is, what is it actually, in its literal meaning, trying to tell you? What is the author telling you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? So in that sense, the words that are being used, the form that he chose to write in, even the original language that was used, Understanding, for example, symbolism there are all the means that God is choosing through the altar to speak a literal truth, what it actually intended to say to you here and now, right? So for us, we miss a lot of the literal sense because we forget that these are passages that are translated from other languages And the words that are used originally can have nuances that we do not know. They occur in a time and a context that if we do not know those contexts, the customs, traditions, then you miss a portion of what literally is the Lord is trying to teach us through his holy word. So the first thing is I'm going to suggest to all of us is that there are commentaries that exist for the Gospels in particular that give you background. And they are tremendous resources. So if you're going to sit down and read the story of the woman at the well, there are commentaries that give you the background that will explain to you what Samaritan, what, 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 who the Samaritans were, what would it mean to be a woman Samaritan in a Jewish context to understand what adultery meant and the the penalties that came with that, right? It it would allow you to understand how it was shocking for a woman to actually be asked to have her utensils used by someone else to drink from the well. See, if we don't know those things, then the literal sense we're hampered to understand what is literally being taught to us by God. So we need to do a little bit of homework. You know, in the homily I gave a few weeks ago about the leper, right? And and reminding myself and those who, who prayed with me that a leper could not possibly have had access to Jesus. It was impossible. He would have been stoned. And yet mm-hmm. he did. How? Because Jesus went to him. That unlocks the passage in a totally different way. Yes. Right? So that's the literal sense. Then once there's the literal sense, so what is actually being told to me? What am I reading? What does the Lord command? Then there are the spiritual senses, which then help us to apply it to our own life. And they are allegorical, moral, and anagogical. And you say, wow, what are those? (laughs) Very simple. Allegorical. How does this passage 
that what's being said point to Jesus. This is especially important for the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay, Think of the Exodus and think of the passion of Jesus Christ. St. Matthew speaks of Moses and the new Moses. Right? So we talk about right, the Passover of the Lord. We know the story. Right? The angel of death, the last plague, mark the lintel of your door with blood. This is the Passover of the Lord and the unleavened bread that they could not need because they were literally thrown out of Egypt. They said, leave us now before we all die. And then we speak of the Passover of the Lord. Yeah. Right? The new Moses who offers himself, right? And it's his blood, not on the lintel, but shed so that the angel of death may leave us alone. Right? The allegorical sense, there's a depth, so that's the first spiritual sense. What does it say about the Lord, particularly when we read the Old Testament? Then there's the moral sense. And the moral sense simply is, what is this passage teaching me on how I live my life? Right? What is it that I need to change? Right? Do you remember the story about the judge who finally gives the woman what she wanted because she kept coming back and, but yeah. finally, go, go away. <laughs> but what's, what does that say about how I live my life? is the moral sense. What, what is the Lord teaching me how I should live? And, of course, and it's perseverance, perseverance in prayer, perseverance in mission, right? And then the anagogical sense is, um, the best way to describe it is simply to say, everything is geared for our salvation. And therefore, the word of God will always point us to the moment of judgment and the moment of our inheritance into heaven. So the last things. Like in the end, all of this is so that we could go to heaven. And the Lord speaks to us so we can get to heaven. So he keeps that focused in our minds. So literal sense, allegorical sense, moral sense, anagogical sense for every passage. So you can come to a passage and one day it's well, what is the saying about Jesus strikes you? You could meditate on that fruitfully. Four weeks later, it could be, well, this is how it's challenging me to live. Uh, two months later, the same passage can say, wow, so, so, so this is my encouragement to heaven. And it's the same passage. So we're unlocking the ability of the Lord to move us in these le levels. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And to keep going over the same stuff. It's not like you read it once, you're done with it. Uh, you mentioned, right. uh, I think it was last week, Excellency, that the Bible is not just like something that happened thousands of years ago. It's, it is a re reality for today, for us in our lives now. Yeah, there's a, it's a this and that. Okay, so Revelation definitively ended, okay, with the apostles, right? So God will not speak his holy word further than what is with us now, okay? On the other hand, what we have is so, is so dynamic, 
deep and multivalent that you can live an entire lifetime like St. Jerome did, reading sacred scripture and still hungry for more. Because it's an entree to the divine life that has no beginning and end, right? That is infinitely feeding us. So in a sense, it is definitive. On the other hand, it will always be a wellspring of more life and more food for us, right? So I would recommend everyone who can pray over the scriptures, ask themselves the question, what is this literally telling me? What does this have to do with the Lord Jesus? What does it do about, how is it asking me right now what my life to change? And what does this really, how is this helping me to get to heaven? So you said that there were four senses to scripture, literal, Mm -hmm. spiritual. No, literal and three types of spiritual. Oh, I see. Okay, so those are the four senses. Yep. Right. Okay. Right. right. So the allegorical, moral, and anagogical are are spiritual senses okay. of scripture. Okay. That's you, the traditional way of looking at it. And, and you've talked a lot over the past year um, on our, on this show about you know the Ignatian approach of really putting yourself in the scene, the sights, the smells, the sounds. Mm-hmm. That's why we remember about a year ago when we spoke about pilgrimages in the Holy Land and Monsignor Vacari, the rector of the seminary, mentioned that the Holy Land was the fifth gospel. Mm. Right? Because um, it feeds the inner senses. Okay? So not the literal sense, not the spiritual sense, but the inner sense. Right? And one of the innocences is imagination, but imagination not understood as fantasy. Imagination is to imagine oneself as if you were there. So, so, Jesus taking up his cross. Mm-hmm. What, to, 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 to have in your mind, having read the scripture, an image of what that would have looked like. Before I went to the Holy Land, it was one thing. Walking the streets is now something different. I could see the stones. I could feel the dampness. I still can remember the intertwining of light and darkness because of the canopies that covered most of this very narrow street. And yet you would come into brilliant light and then be cast back into shadows. I could hear the humming and screaming and murmuring and the laughing and the drinking and all the rest. And then walking in your own thoughts with a solitude that is totally divorced from that. In a split moment, if you imagine just what it was like, that will, that's another avenue where the Lord feeds you. And, and, uh, you just showed us also in the first segment with uh, what being on Mount Tabor did for you with your right. understanding of the transfiguration. Right. right. Yeah. Right. You know the interesting thing in the Holy Land? A couple of weeks after I went, my little group went, uh, that was when the church was desecrated. Hmm. The Basilica of the Transfiguration. It's interesting. Father Vivo's never far away. He could sprint up the mountain. 
So because he's because he's desperate. Yeah, <laughs> he's desperate. Right. Right. Okay. So, opening up the Bible, let's say it's for the first time. You recommend we start with the Gospels. Um. Well, you see, I'm kind of I I I love yes, absolutely. You start with the Gospels, um, especially if there's a novice. I mean, many of our, our listeners have been praying over the scriptures for years. Right. I mean, many yes. of, much of their adult life. So, I mean, uh, I personally have favorites. Okay. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Esther. Okay. It talks about providence. It talks about being the, the agent of conversion. All right who brings deliverance to her people in the least likely way she could ever have imagined. Fidelity, right? Um, all the stories of Elijah, the Exodus story, in Lent in particular, mm -hmm. I, I read them over and over and over again. Um, but for the Gospels, um, it's interesting. I've always traditionally turned to the Gospel of John in the Easter season. But the Gospel of Matthew in Lent. Hmm. And I never quite understood why until I recognized when I went to the seminary of the motif in St. Matthew of Jesus being the new Moses. And that you see how God works? Yeah. yeah. And then in my own religious imagination, if I may, in, 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 in my religious sensibility, having a tremendous keen affection for the image of Moses, the figure of Moses, my intuition and grace led me to that of the three synoptics because there was a connection I wasn't even aware of. See, that's, that's grace. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Right, right. exactly, yeah. So, and then uh, you also said um, that you, rec you recommended that um, somebody who's reading, particularly the Gospels, uh, should follow some kind of commentary right, for right. teaching, for guidance. Mm -hmm. I know uh, mm -hmm. there's a woman named Mary Healy who does fantastic commentaries on the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Word on Fire, Bishop Barron, they are publishing the Bible, are they not? And right. it's really a study Bible. If I yeah. remember, if, from what I remember, there's tremendous commentary. You have the New American Bible that's the study edition. In right. a sense, you don't even have to buy a commentary. You could buy the study editions of the Bibles that give you the background. It's literally there for you. Yeah, right. and because we need that. Otherwise, we're like the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip ran into. Correct. Right. How right. can we understand it if no one... Because can... things occur in a context. Yeah, Right? They occur in a context. You know what's interesting? Um, working at CRS, um, they're, they're, part of my orientation was that there were these dossiers, profiles that are produced um, that help a person understand the culture um, of a country where you may be traveling. And I, I had a few of them that I read through. And the significance of how one holds one's hands or what hand one uses, all right, to greet a person 
or the gestures you'd agree to praise can be both very hospitable or could be very off-putting. So that gives you an appreciation of going back 2,000 years to a, 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 a Semite culture to say, well, what, what would the mm. expectation have been? I mean, in the Gospel, of, as you read them, the washing of feet of guests took tremendous cultural significance. When it happened, who did it, right? how often it was done, and that's why the Last Supper is so profoundly theologically rich. Because the Lord is speaking to us, literally and through the senses, the spiritual senses. But if you don't know what it means to wash someone's feet, right, everything else is hampered. Yeah. Commentary would help you to do that. The, 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 the gold standard of commentaries is the Jerome Biblical Commentary. And the Jerome Biblical Commentary, Monsignor Denza, God rest his soul, who taught me scripture when I was young, a thousand years ago, <laughs> he, he produced, he wrote one of the articles in the Jerome Biblical Commentary. So that was his claim to fame. And when I have the time, which I must confess I don't always have the time, so I rely on the things I remember studying. So... I should myself be challenged by my own words, right? To make more time to do this, is to do an in-depth review in the commentaries that are there for the passages, right? That I'm praying over or, or preaching. Mm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is probably a good way, as we, you mentioned in the first segment, you know, about uh, sometimes we get into a little bit of a slump in Lent, just because of our human nature, maybe picking up the Bible again and diving back in, that's a good way to kind of recharge. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, without, without a doubt. And and to start with the journey, to, in whatever gospel you choose, if it's the synoptic, start from where Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem. Hmm. So that's the turn towards the cross. Right. And the apostles were not, I mean, they may not have been uh, A-plus students, but they weren't fools either. And they knew in the turn to Jerusalem that the crowd was turning against Jesus. Mm. So I, I, I could not have imagined the apostles thinking that there was going to be um, universal acclaim for the Lord. They, they, could, they would have heard the whisperings in the background yeah. and heard rumors of plots against the Lord, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't think they ever expected what they got. Yeah. All right. Well, Excellency, let's take one more break. Uh, mm -hmm. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we've got a listener question for Bishop Frank when we come back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we got a, a question here that I... Wow. Okay, so I'll just dive into it. It's from Chris in Norwalk. He wrote... Mm -hmm. Ash Wednesday interrupted 
the sixth week of ordinary time. But when we resume ordinary time in May, the readings mm -hmm. are in week eight. I've noticed this pattern before. We seem to skip a week of ordinary time readings during the Lent and Easter seasons. Is there a reason for this? It's just a question of math. Okay. There are either 33 or 34 weeks of ordinary time, depending on where some of the movable holidays land. So, for example, in a year where, all right, um, in particularly at Christmas time, right, at Christmas time, depending on when New Year's falls, depends when the baptism of the Lord is celebrated, right? You can lose literally a week because we need to end by Christ the King so we can start Advent, right, in time for Christmas. So this is before Sundays of Advent. So it, it, it's really, it's a question of the calendar. So that, that it's that one week that can, at certain times, because of the way how the holidays fall, could be lost. Okay. And I think that's what's going on this year. Chris is really paying attention. <laughs> yeah, God bless him. Detail That's oriented. Great. Yeah. All right. Tell him, if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano, you can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find Veritas Catholic Network there too. Um, Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Send to us your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, that as we continue this journey of Lent, it may be a time of repentance, conversion, and renewal for us all. And may your blessing come upon us, for we ask this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, I'll see you next week, my friend. Thanks, Excellency. See ya.